Welcome to HBRV Lifestyle, the podcast. We are live on TikTok tonight. If you're hearing this somewhere else, you're listening on Spotify or Amazon after I live stream the podcast. Today, I'm going to talk about a few things, mostly to deal with how the cold season camping is going to be done, how to stay warm in your travel trailer, your fifth wheel, your motor home. I wanna give you some tips I've learned, and now I'm gonna throw in some college football as well into this episode because I'm kinda of ticked off about, I don't know, it just seems to me Alabama shouldn't be in the college football playoff, but that's just how I feel about things. It doesn't mean I'm right, it doesn't mean I'm wrong, it's just how I feel about it. And then lastly, I really wanna cover some breaking news that came in on the RV business uh, side of things. This will affect not only people in Canada, but also people in the United States as well. So I wanna make sure you guys stick around for that. Okay, so cold weather camping or RVing is really one of the things that most people don't like to do. Or they want to do it, but they're afraid to freeze to death. Or they're afraid they're gonna catch pneumonia. They're gonna catch COVID. There's all kinds of things out there that are in people's minds when it comes to, okay, snow is on the ground or we're in 30 degree temperatures during the day and teens at night. How do I stay warm in a motorhome or a travel trailer or a toy hauler, etc., without burning through all my propane for the furnace? Well, first off, it takes a little getting used to. If you're camping in an area where you have full hookups, meaning you're hooked into power, you're hooked into water, you're hooked into sewer, you're hooked into all that stuff, then it's going to be easier for you than if you're doing what I call dry camping or off-grid camping. The three things that are really gonna happen to you most, it doesn't matter what you buy. You can buy something they say is all four seasons there's really no such thing. There's no RV out there built today or built in the past that is really a four seasons unit. By the way, the RV manufacturers don't want you to really know that, but if you look at the advertising stickers that they put on the travel trailers or the fifth wheels or the motorhomes, they say all seasons, all weather, extreme weather, they don't say four seasons anymore because they've gotten sued so many times because somebody's pipes froze or somebody's electrical blew up in their face. So you'll never hear a manufacturer or a dealership or a person say it's a four seasons coach. It, there's no such thing. Now, part of that reason is, is because in majority of the ones that you camp in, even if the underbelly is completely sealed, it is not insulated. It's not like they go in there and put spray foam insulation like you do in a house. Like if you're gonna put a permanent structure up in Northern Oregon or Montana, you spray foam insulation on a mobile home or on a, a, a double wide, right? Because you wanna make sure all that plumbing underneath the motor or underneath the, um, structure doesn't freeze or has the best chances of not freezing. 
they don't put insulation around the piping inside the trailer or inside the motorhome. It just doesn't happen. So what you do is very simple. If you're not on a budget and you can spend 300, 400 bucks, the very first thing you should do is buy an electric water hose, an electrically heated water hose. So that's what I did up in Oregon. One of the first things we did we tried wrapping insulation and doing all this funky stuff on DIY channels to get your water hose to prevent it from freezing. But in all reality, that didn't work very well. The pipe still froze, the hose still froze, the water coming from the spigot into the trailer, that hose would freeze. So we end up getting a a water hose that has a five amp draw that puts a heated strip and insulation along the water hose and it keeps it from freezing. So I've been, I have camped or lived in a fifth wheel up in Southern Oregon when temperatures at night would drop below negative 10 degrees and that hose did not freeze. But that brings me to step two, you have to skirt the RV. So if you go to my YouTube channel, my regular YouTube channel, HBRV Lifestyle, I go into this in more detail. If you go to the playlist section and you put living in fifth wheel, I go into a lot deeper uh, discussions into this. But what happens when you skirt the fifth wheel is it prevents all that cold air from blowing underneath. And at the same time, I would put like a construction lamp or a little ceramic heater under there. So again, it keeps the poop tank and the shower tank and the water tanks and the water lines from freezing up. We ran into situations where we had to learn the hard way. If you don't believe me, you can ask anybody that was living with me in there. Those water lines would freeze and we had to learn the hard way how to make sure we do it. Now, I originally skirted the fifth wheel originally with OSB and Pink Panther insulation. Now we've done it with hay bales. The next thing that we did, and, and this, is, this is for those of you that are really going to be in there for, let's say, a month or two at a time at one spot. Maybe you're going to go to a ski resort for a month or three to four weeks. Is there's a bubble wrap insulation you can put on the outside of your windows along with cold weather aluminum tape. Because one of the reasons why insulation is so bad in a travel trailer or fifth wheel or a motorhome is because the windows are not household windows like you get at your house where you can get dual pane insulated windows. There's no such thing in an RV, period. There's thermal pane. There's RV double pane. But if you go into cold weather, go put your trailer out in the middle of 40 degree weather and then go feel the windows. Straight up, when you feel the windows of a travel trailer or fifth wheel in that cold weather, your hand goes, ay, holy crap, like that. Because they're not well insulated. So you put this bubble wrap on it, it's insulated, 
It may cover your trailer where it's dark inside, but you don't need to go out and see. You can walk outside and go look at the snow. Now, when you do this, when you camp like this and you put that bubble wrap around the windows, it creates a little bit of a problem. And that problem, it, there is a solution to it. That problem is condensation. Because the trailer inside or the motorhome is going to be, let's say, 65. Let's say you're going to keep it around 65. That's what we did. You keep it around 65 degrees inside and it's 20 outside during the day. That combination of heat and cold is going to create condensation where it's going to look like your walls are sweating. Especially after you cook. So the best way to solve that solution is to put dehumidifiers or some kind of dehumidification uh, product in your closets, behind your beds, because otherwise it'll get moldy. So one of the things we learned is as that sweats, it turns into mold. So you have to be able to get all the, the moisture out of there. And the best way to get the moisture out of your RV is to use dehumidifiers and maybe make sure you run your fan. Okay, so those are the best ways. That, that and keeping your thermostat at 65 degrees and running a couple of space heaters inside the trailer or motorhome along with your, watch this, along with your fireplace heater if you have one of those. Those combinations will make it comfortable. You ain't going to be in the tropics where you're going to be like, it's 80 degrees heat wave we're having a heat wave no it ain't gonna be anything like that but it'll be comfortable where you're gonna wear a sweater you're still gonna wear thermals but you will feel the difference when we would go outside and work in the cold weather getting the property set up in oregon building shelters plowing the snow doing all that stuff you would feel the difference going from outside into the fifth wheel. In fact, most of the time it was warmer than the actual house on the property that had a nice pot belly stove and had obviously a lot more electricity capabilities to run a lot of space heaters. You would like wear a jacket in the house and go, oh my God. You go into the trailer or the fifth wheel, I should say, and you're like stripping off clothes. Like, oh my God, it's freaking hot in here. It also helped not burn as much propane. We were going through two five-gallon tanks of propane uh, about every 10 days with that. Now, when it got like below 10 degrees, negative 10 degrees. There were nights where it was like minus 15, minus 18 degrees. Obviously that furnace ran a lot more than it did when it was like five to 10 degrees outside. And believe me, you feel the difference. When you walk outside at five degrees at night and then you walk out the next day and it's minus 18, you can't hardly breathe. So believe me, I know what that's all like. I've lived in it in an RV. So is it capable? Yes, you are perfectly capable of living four seasons in any single RV as long as you're willing to put in the work to be able to keep yourself warm. 
Now, this is the thing I try to tell people. If you're going out for like three or four days, because you're going to go skiing, snowboarding, ice fishing, etc., you're not going to do all this. You're going to go just take extra propane, burn through your propane using your furnace. Maybe you'll hook in a little space heater. But you're in and out. Most of the time when you're camping for three or four days, you ain't even using the shower that much. What I'm more referring to is got people are, okay, I'm going to stay in an RV resort in Mammoth. I'm going to stay in an RV resort in Aspen, Colorado. I'm not leaving. I'm going from Christmas Eve to end of January type of camping. That's what I'm talking about you doing. So if you're going out for five or six weeks during the cold weather and you're going to stay between one and two places, these tips I just gave you are going to keep you warm. They're going to keep you going where you're not going to feel like you're going to get pneumonia or COVID or a bad cold. You're going to feel like, hey, I can do this and it's fun. So just some of the tips that I kind of learned from just trial and error of living in an area that surprisingly got a record amount of snow last year. This year, not so much. They just had, I was just talking uh, to a few folks and they said they really aren't getting the snow they got last year. They're back to normal, which is, hey, we have about three months of snow instead of six. So, but again, it's still colder than you know what up there. It's brutal cold up there. Okay. College football playoff. <laughs> I am so pissed off right now. And I'm not a Florida State fan. I'm pissed because I saw this coming when Alabama beat Georgia. I always said for things to get back to the status quo of what it should be, Georgia had to beat Alabama. So there's four reasons why I'm pissed off at the college football playoff committee. Number one is you left Georgia out of the playoff. That is unprecedented. Unprecedented. It's the first time in 10 years that a team that was the number one team in the country lost and got dropped completely out of the discussion of the playoff. They have the better eye test. Now, let's go back. The reason why I'm pissed is because of Nick Saban's Alabama team, the roles were reversed, Alabama would still be the number four team and in the playoff. They would have put two SEC teams in. It's garbage. It's pissing me off. I'm so glad that we're going to a 12-team playoff next year because I'm a big college football fan, man. I've been a big college football fan ever since the NFL's quality of games have tumbled out of control. These Next year, the 12-team playoff is going to be what it should be. Yeah, we're going to argue a little bit over the wild cards. But what I'm more worried about is the top six conference champions are going to get an automatic berth. So it's going to give teams like Liberty, like um, 
uh, Air Force and Army and Navy. It's going to give everybody an opportunity. It means your conference championship means something. Your schedule and your wins on the field can count and give you an automatic berth, just like professional sports. In professional sports, there's no selection committee that comes out and tries to nitpick crap. You win your games, you're now in. If you're the ACC champion, you're going to be in the playoff. If you're the big 15 champ, whatever it's going to be now, you're in. So those are the things like, that's probably what pissed me off the most. And I don't want to spend too much time on or dwelling on it. I just want to mention it because I know some of my friends are like, hey man, how do you feel about it? And I'm like, you know what, watch the, listen to the podcast and, and <laughs> or watch the live stream on TikTok and we'll, we'll go from there, right? Oh man, my allergies are killer today, just killer. Okay, here's some breaking news from you for you from the world of RVs. <clears throat> I just got off the phone about 15 minutes ago with a close contact of mine that pretty much has their hands directly on all of the business. It's one of those people that Everybody knows who they are, but never met the person type of thing. But yet they have their hands in every part of the cookie jar. So the first piece of breaking news is Attitude Toy Haulers is officially going out of business. That just got handed to me 15 minutes ago by my sources that after a huge run of being the number one sold toy hauler in the United States of America, and they only sold them in 15 of the 50 states, and they still were number one in the nation for a lot of years, they are officially closing their doors permanently. Now, while some of you will get excited and go, yeah, like I did, because I got tired of the warranty problems, I got tired of the massive problems, um, I've been basically instructed to sell my last attitude for a ten dollars to $15,000 loss. It's the last one that I have left. Um, move it. Because now that that once that news reaches the flooring companies, the people that give the inventory loans, they're gonna make every owner write a check for the attitude that they have in stock to pay it off. It's gonna be nasty. The second piece of news that came out of this was that as far as my understanding of things, Bank of America is going to be removing themselves from RV lending starting January 1st. They're going to start sending notifications out to dealerships saying, we're done. It's going to be temporary. That's a temporary thing. 
a lot of times this does occur. We had a lot of banks do that over the years. Bank of the West, which is now BMO, got out of the car business about two years ago. Uh, Wells Fargo got out of the RV business a long time ago, now only does cars, or now they're getting out of cars. So the vehicle lending, it seems, from what I've been handed down, is Bank of America is no longer going to do RV loans in 2024. And for whatever the near future. Now, I truly believe that Bank of America will be back in the business. I think if they don't change their minds, um, I, I believe they will be back in it once the once they figure out that the industry is making a comeback. What happens, guys, is banks in general, just so you guys have an understanding, banks get a certain amount of money allotted to them not only do they get to borrow from the Fed, but also a certain amount of money that they can leverage based on the money you put in the bank. So when they look at a portfolio and they say, wow, we really haven't done that many RV loans this year, they go, well, where can we direct those funds that will be better, where they'll be better suited? Right now, probably into the energy sector where we need infrastructure, Okay, so probably infrastructure loans or something like that. They probably had an internal discussion and say, RV loans are not, they're, they're, we're just, there's not enough of them out there because at this time, there's three things dominating the market. Number one is cash. Number two is there's two banks, Huntington National Bank being one of them, that is absolutely obliterating their rates. So while Bank of America starts at nine, nine and a half percent, Huntington National Bank can get prime rates around seven nine nine to eight and a half, so they're beating everybody up on interest rate right now. So realistically, like by the time this is all said and done, next year twenty twenty four, Huntington National Bank will be probably the number one lender of RVs in the country of the United States of America. Now, where that goes into play is from what I'm understanding is because Bank of America is possibly going to contract out of the RV business for a temporary amount of time, however long that is, what I'm being told is the Royal Bank of Canada is going to start having tougher guidelines for Canadians to get loans. So apparently from what I'm being told is there's internal discussions going on inside the Royal Bank of Canada, the RBC, on tightening their guidelines for travel trailer, motorhome, toy hauler, and fifth wheel lending in 2024. Now, I don't, I'm not a Canadian, so I can't speak on why that would happen. I don't understand Canadian economic policies that well. I know that their prime minister is not very popular right now, just like the president of the United States here in the president of the U.S. here, Biden, is not very popular. But I do not understand the economics of where they would be going with that. Now, what I do know is if they tighten their guidelines there, all it means is they're going to direct funds that they set aside for RV loans and they're going to put them somewhere else. That's normally why a bank does that. It's the same reason why credit unions have expanded their dealership network. 
if you actually look at the 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 last probably oh I don't know uh, eight months, credit unions across the United States have expanded their dealership network, where they're actually connecting with dealers directly to give loans out to consumers or to customers. So this is something that's very, very, um, actually I think this is a good thing because then the, the, obviously there's a little more control and a little more of a fluidity to it. So everything is more fluid when the dealership works directly with your credit union already. Like for example, for the most part, I have contacts at the 20 top credit unions across the United States. One of them being Navy Federal. I have three direct contacts that I use for loans through Navy Federal, and I have two at USAA, and I've got them at Logix, which is the old Lockheed Federal Credit Union. I've got them at Unify, Western, which was the old Western Federal Credit Union, Alliant Federal Credit Union, so on and so forth. So I can make phone calls and go, hey, this guy matches up with you perfectly. You know, What do you think the rate and term will be? So. That, that network is expanding to other dealerships and other guys like me across the US. Part of that is because they see, they're seizing an opportunity, right? So there's an opportunity to grow their portfolio and grow their membership. Start generating and, and, and moving people away from the banking system the major banking system and move them into the credit union membership. So to me, and just my personal opinion from doing this for 15 years, this is going to be a win for everyone and a win for the small private banks up in Canada and a, sm and a very big win for the credit unions here in the United States. So even though it would sound doom and gloom, it's actually a very positive thing that I believe is going to help the industry and help the RV economy moving forward. What most people don't realize, and I covered this in other episodes, we already had an economic bloodbath in the RV world. It was bad. 2022 was probably the one of the worst retail years I've ever been a part of. This year is a close second. This year has been a close second. I'm not. It, it was better than last year, but last but last year was just the devil. I mean, I would go to RV shows out in Salt Lake City, Billings, Montana, Seattle, Washington and sit there at a show that normally does huge amounts of business and twiddle my thumbs wondering, why are we here? Interest rates have doubled since then and we've had more business. Now there's a lot of things in that. I've covered those in other episodes of this podcast. If you wanna check them out, go to HB RV Lifestyle Podcast on YouTube. Spotify, iHeart, Amazon, or wherever you get your podcast from. It's also on YouTube if I already didn't mention that already. These are the small little things that RV factories don't want you to know. You know, th th these are things that banks kind of are like, really, really, do we really want everybody to know that? We know it's going to be public knowledge, but do we want them to know that before it happens? 
<sighs> probably. Uh, it, it'll be easier overall if, you know, obviously the bigger the network of finance companies we can use as an industry, whether you're a pro, you know buying or selling private party or whether you're buying from a dealer, having an expanded network is beneficial, but sometimes there can be too many lenders. Like in the car industry, there's just way there for a long time. I remember I worked for a guy, I opened an RV dealership for a car conglomerate, some very small car conglomerate. They owned a couple of, a couple of car stores, a couple of car brands. And I sat there one day and I'm looking at the, the thing. I'm like, okay, wait a minute. You guys want me to help you get loans for these? Cause I didn't understand the car business yet. I was just trying to help him open the RV store. But I sat in finance and I'd look and there was like 42 lenders for cars. And my brain is just like, huh? I mean, the dealerships are selling 50 to 80 cars a month and you have 42 lenders to try to keep happy? Good Lord. <laughs> I mean, like, it blew my mind. I'm like, 42 lenders? That's too many lenders. So I understood why a lot of banks got out of the car business. So having one or two banks, let's call it temporarily leave the RV world is not Armageddon. That actually may be beneficial and it gives opportunities to the other guys to get and build their portfolio, like I said earlier. Okay. Um, Last thing I really want to cover tonight about the RV news part of it is from what I'm understanding, and again, this I'm getting like fourth hand. I'm not getting it directly from one person. It's I got a phone call that from a person that got a phone call that got a phone call that heard something from a friend, okay? But usually they don't tell me unless they're at least 80% sure. But from what I'm understanding is the five big RV conglomerate dealerships, and I cannot name them because I've been told if I name all five, I can get in trouble. The five majors are going to be closing, listen to me very carefully, closing underperforming stores. And it is rumored to be between 180 and 205 stores in total across the United States. Now, when they say underperforming stores, I was given an example. It's not necessarily how many they're selling. There are cities in different parts of the country where the median income has changed, okay? So when you go buy a, a business, you go buy a business of any kind, it doesn't matter if it's a dealership or anything else, you do a, a map that tells you everything you need to know about your possible customer base. Okay? And when you did, it's part of your due diligence. So these big conglomerates bought all these stores and after they bought these stores, about two years after they've bought these stores, the median income of the area and the residential areas changed. Give you an example. I won't be exact about the city, but let's, 
here, here's one example. Uh, the Walmart goes in and buys an RV dealership in, um, in BFE, uh, Idaho, as an example. And what they do is they find out the median income is $45,000 a year per person for a single person and $65,000 a year median income for a family or for a family of let's say four or five, okay? And they go, man, that's a great investment. So they bought into it in 2020 or 2021. The dealership's running really well. But slowly over time, since 2021, going into 2023, the population of the area changed. So what occurred was, is the median income in such area went from 45 grand a year down to 28 grand a year for a single individual. Now, if here's the difficult part about doing due diligence. When you see growth in an area, okay? So let's say, for example, this same town 10 years ago, the median income was 19 grand, but slowly that income has slowly crept up to where it got to the 40 grand mark or 45 grand mark. It was slow growth, but it was growth heading in the upward direction. If you see growth in an upward direction as a corporation, you're like, it's only going to either stay the same or grow over time. Seeing it decline so rapidly in a two-year uh, base tells you that the population of workers that were making that good money have moved out to other areas. It wasn't that everybody just got a pay cut. It's that those people that were making that kind of money relocated because of work, because of better opportunity, maybe because cheaper cost of living or combination of all of it. So said store is now obsolete for a big corporation. So more than likely when that corporation moves out and closes the doors on said store, in about a year or two, a mom and pop store will open up. So if you're in a smallish area where your population is maybe 150,000 in an entire county or $250,000 in an entire county, you're gonna see these big RV conglomerates start shutting doors at that local store that they may have bought two years ago. Or, a store they built themselves, let's say eight to 10 years ago where the population changed, they're gonna close that store. It's just a fact of life. Now, 180 to 205 stores sounds like a lot, but if you actually look up how many RV stores, individual stores in the United States that there are, it's less than 8% of the locations across the entire 50 states and Alaska, well, 50 states, including Alaska. So, so it's common sense, guys, just, just thinking about that, okay? I did a small video about hearing about a certain corporation that got mad at me for announcing that they're closing 30 stores, which I don't understand why people get mad at me for announcing this stuff. It's like, don't tell anybody then, keep it to yourself. Don't tell people. 
If you want to wait till last minute to tell somebody or tell the world, hey, guess what? We're going to close 80 stores this year because you don't want to start a panic. It doesn't start panics if you put context into it. That's what I keep telling these guys. These guys that call me and, and try to light me up over the phone. It's like, dude, all you have to do is put context to it. You know, nobody's going to go, oh, God, Walmart's going out of business. They're closing 200 stores. No. Because Walmart will put context into it. Too much theft here. Not enough people are shopping. You know, I know of several, you know, Walmart's never going to go away. Amazon's never going to go away. So big, huge conglomerate RV stores are not simply just going to close every door they have and walk away. It's not going to happen. But what they're going to do is they're going to save their cash capital for stores that have an active uh, customer base that have the disposable income to make the purchases and qualify for the loans. They're not going to stay open in areas where the median income is $2,500 a month for an individual. It just isn't going to happen. That's nothing against somebody that makes $2,500 a month. There's a ton of people out there that make two grand a month or $2,200 a month and the happiest people on God's green earth. There's people that own their home free and clear, all their vehicles free and clear, and Social Security takes care of them. And they're happier than you can possibly imagine being retired. So it's nothing personal against anybody. It's business. How do you keep people employed? By staying in business. How do dealerships, no matter if it's a car, boat, RV, motorcycle, side-by-side, -side, how do they stay in business? They have to sell items. In order to sell items, you have to have a clientele or customer base that can qualify for the purchase. You can't keep a store open in an area where customers do not have the ability to buy them. It's like the same reason, like if you have a Lamborghini dealership in the middle of, we'll use Marina, my old hometown. They're not gonna put a Porsche, a Lamborghini, or a Ferrari dealership in Moreno Valley, California. It'd be a waste of money. It's not a low income area, it's a medium sized income area, but they're not gonna be able to afford the Porsche, the Lamborghini, or the Ferrari. They're gonna put the Ferrari and the Lamborghini dealership in Beverly Hills. They're gonna put it up in Vacaville, California, or Sacramento, California, where it's close to the Bay Area, where it's close to San Francisco. They're gonna put it in Las Vegas, Nevada which is an hour from me, they're gonna put it where people have the ability to buy a Ferrari, Porsche, Lamborghini. A supercar. Same thing with the RV world. They're gonna, these big conglomerates are going to try and keep the stores open in areas where people have the qualifications to buy the trailers or the motorhomes. Now, mom and pop can open up anywhere and be fine because you work on a small basis with a small amount of employees. You don't have, a, you don't have uh, the, the wolverines at the door called shareholders or investors. 
So though, if you're worried, oh, wow, I'm going to run out of a service department here in, you know, Elkhart, uh, Oregon or Elkhart, uh, Nevada or wherever. No, eventually a new dealership's going to pop up and it's going to be a locally owned and managed dealership by someone that you guys know. It might be in 2025 or 2026, but it'll happen. You know what I mean? It'll definitely happen. If you're an employee of these conglomerates and you're in a small town and you noticed it really, really slowed down, and the quality of credit and the quality of income coming into the door to try to purchase these things has really declined, yeah, you should get your resume ready. Definitely. And again, I can't name the conglomerates because I'll probably end up in a lawsuit over it, so I'm not gonna name them. There's tons of them. I think there's 22 conglomerates, so if I don't use their names, I can't get in trouble. 180 to 205 stores will close by January 31st, 2024. And the last thing I'm going to say on it before I go for the night is, this is why I've said on so many episodes, I got told yesterday by a really close colleague of mine that You bash the manufacturers too much. You're always on your podcast saying the same thing over and over again, that the manufacturers are shooting themselves in the foot. They're shooting themselves in the foot. Yeah, because they don't keep their eye on the target. They have the wrong people running Forest River. They have the wrong people running Thor Industries. They have the wrong people running Winnebago. They have the wrong people running Grand Design, and they have the wrong people running anything to do with the major brands because they're not thinking ahead. They didn't sit there and go, wow, this ain't going to last forever. COVID wasn't going to last forever. And now the foresight is they want to keep making stupid mistakes and shooting themselves in the foot Instead of going, hmm, well, the industry really slowed down back to, let's say, pre-2012 numbers. Maybe we should help with the inventory that's actually there, especially knowing that the chances of a lot of stores closing down in rural areas just increased. And by the way, folks, if you live in Canada and you listen to this podcast or you're watching me right now on the TikTok live, don't think your rural area dealer is not gonna close their doors either. It's getting tougher for Canadian dealership owners to keep the doors open. Even if they're humongous corporations, they're having an extremely hard time. It's gonna get interesting. I have a prediction. My prediction is, is that the 2024 year model will be canceled, lit up and canceled. Watch this. By February of 2024. 
I would almost guarantee you that they're only gonna build maybe at a 15% capacity for year model 2024. We're almost gonna go from 2023 straight into 2025, summer or fall of next year. There's gonna be a very limited amount of 2024s that are gonna get sold because they're gonna get so buried in buybacks. They're gonna get buried in closures of stores. They're gonna get annihilated with just inventory piling up on them. They're not gonna have any choice but to say, time to take a step back. But it takes a real leader to do that. There's a saying I have on one of my YouTube videos. It says that greed is good. And I said this on the podcast. I said, greed is good. Greed and capitalism are really good, but greed in certain situations is terrible and a bad idea. And greed in this RV industry at this time is not a good idea. This is the time right now to get customers, clients, out of trades they bought in 2020 and 21 that they paid sticker price or more than sticker price for. It's time to help them get out of those and into something more affordable, smaller, easier to handle. And it's time for the manufacturers to put on their bootstraps, their adult bootstraps, and start covering every loss that every single dealership across the country, whether it's a big boy conglomerate like a Walmart or a mom and pop on Main Street, they need to start writing a check to cover every loss so that way we can move on from the nightmare that they started last year. They started their own nightmare last year, folks. If you don't know it, they shot the industry in the foot in 2022 because of bad timing of greed. Not the greed itself. Greed is fine. Greed, as, as, as uh, uh, Gordon Gecko would say, greed is good when it's well-timed. Right now and last year was not the right time and not the right place. And now they're paying the price. If you wanna know more, please visit my YouTube channel, HBRV Lifestyle, or HBRV Lifestyle, the podcast. Also, if you are a Spanish speaker and you prefer uh, videos in Spanish, I have HBRV Lifestyle in Espanol. Uh, I will be starting the podcast channel for Spanish speakers uh, starting in March of 2024. I already have uh, uh, the setup already began. Uh, also, quick couple of announcements. I am doing this daily show. I'm streaming it on TikTok twice a week. Usually I'm gonna do it on Mondays and Saturdays. Um, and uh, the other thing is I've already got enough videos and enough content film that I'm finishing editing because starting December 20th, my rear end is on vacation. <laughs> I'm taking a nice six day break. I'm going to turn my phone 
on airplane mode for like five days and I'm going to take my laptop and throw it in a dumpster somewhere where I can't find it. So if I don't respond to your emails after December 20th, if I don't respond to your comments, it's because I'm on vacation. It's not because I'm ignoring you. So that's going to start December 20th. I will respond and read back on December 26th. And I'm taking another three days off for New Year's weekend. Uh, thank you so much. If you're watching the live stream, if you join the TikTok channel, if you're now a follower, thank you so much. If you guys uh, have any questions, you can email me at Levingston. That's L-E-V-I-N-G-S-T-O-N. Levingston RV Services at gmail.com. Have a wonderful evening. Be safe out there this week, and we'll see you guys on Saturday if you are on the TikTok stream. If not, you guys will hear from me tomorrow. Have a great night.